Good morning and welcome out to Sunday School here at Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. Um, it's an honor to have you tune in and be with us this morning. We're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 17 this morning, uh, or in the Sunday School lesson if you have your quarterly there with you, Exodus 17. And we're looking at verses 1 through 7. So before we get started, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Most kind, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come through social media, Lord, and to present your word this morning. We pray, Lord, for your help. Pray, Lord, that you give us the filling of your spirit, that we may teach it and preach it in spirit and truth, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit anointing would flow from us, Lord, and that we, your Holy Spirit will use this attempt to touch the hearts of those that are listening, Lord, to draw them into a saving faith with you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for our, our little church here, Lord. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for all your blessings, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, last week we started looking at the story of Moses, and we looked at about uh, the story of manna, about how the people were grumbling against Moses, and God sent manna from heaven to provide for the people, uh, to teach the people that through obedience to him, that he would bless them and provide for them out of his provision. And we're going to sort of see the second half of that story this morning. So if you look at Exodus 17, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Now, you have these people that the Lord has led out of captivity in Egypt across the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And it's not men without struggle. Uh, God put them in a situation where they did have to go without. But by going without, they should have learned to depend more upon God. You know, I think sometimes God does the same thing with America today that while we have often uh, been told that we're the strongest and the best in all these things, and we are uh, in many ways, we have some of the smartest minds in the world inside the boundaries of this country, yet quite often we go without, we uh, do without, we don't always find ourselves in the best situations. And I oftentimes think maybe God is trying to teach us a lesson that we need to learn how to lean more on Him and lean less on the things of this world. Because if God has brought us to it, God will bring us through it. Uh, you have these people here that have supposedly followed God to this land of Rephidim. And once they have gotten there, the first thing they start doing is saying, All right, Moses, where's the water at? And Moses quickly looks back at him and says, You have already forgotten God. How often do we see our people in the very same scenario? They cannot find themselves content with their lot in life. And the first thing they start doing is trying to find a man-made way to fix a problem out of their hands. We are seeing this in so many different facets of life. If we look at the Bible, we can see David and, and, uh, and sorry Abraham and Sarah done this with their children. When, a when God promised Abraham a lineage, 
And it got to the point that Abraham and Sarah didn't see this being likely. What did Abraham and Sarah do? Sarah said, well, just take my handmaid and have children with her. And that'll fix the problem. But that was not God's way of fixing the problem. God had a plan. God had it all worked out. But yet, Abraham and Sarah wanted to beat God to the punch and try to fix it themselves. Oftentimes, when things go amiss in this world, is when we start trying to do it ourselves. You see, man can't fix a problem. It cannot be done. And again, God is trying to show us this in so many things in our lives, that he is the one that is sovereign. He is the one that is in control. And long as we are trying to fix our own problems and not relying on God to work our situations out for us, we're going to find life is continually getting more and more and more difficult, getting harder and harder and harder. But yet, once we let God be our pilot, you see them lie someplace that God is my co-pilot. Well, I really hope God is not really your co-pilot in life. I'm hoping God is your pilot and you're sitting back in coach somewhere. Because God is the one that needs to be flying the plane. He needs to be the one directing the path. He needs to be the one going before you. If you are at all trying to take control of life, if you are all trying to take authority away from God, you're going to see those blessings begin to decrease, 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 and to decrease. Because you're going to take yourself down a pathway that God doesn't want you to be. You see, the Bible talks about two pathways. As broad is the way it leads to destruction. We see that narrow is the way it leads to life everlasting. But yet, people want to go plowing down this broad broad road because, number one, broad roads are easier to get down. So people, they love going down the easy path in life. The problem is the easy path leads to destruction. Number two, you can go down a whole lot faster. You're going to notice that people that are on that broad road in life, that they don't ever question anything. They just go. They're always going, 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 going. They don't slow down for nothing. They don't stop to look at things. They don't stop to wonder if this is the right choice. They just react. They go. They, and and they, you see eventually leads to a destructive lifestyle or a destructive way of life. And the third reason they have to go down that broad road is they can see way down through there. Or at least they think they can. It's a funny thing about a broad road. If you've ever been on a really straight, flat highway, it's good and broad, you're going down through there. It may look clear the whole way, but the problem is eventually there is a horizon line you can't see past. See, that's what life is like when you're trying to do it on your own. They're eventually going to come to that horizon that you can't see past. And when you get there, there's going to be something in your way that God is going to shut you down. Because God is only going to let you get so far before he brings you into conviction. And if you go too far, you will fall into condemnation when you die and leave this world and go to a devil's hell because of your rejection of God. Listen, we cannot make ourselves idols. Now, God has given us the gift of free will. But God has the ability to alter or change what he allows us to do with that free will. I use the example of Jonah. Jonah's will was to not go to Nineveh. That was his will. And even getting thrown off a boat, 
even getting swallowed by a fish, his will was still not to go to Nineveh. His will never changed. That was his will. You see, God didn't step in and change Nineveh's will. I mean, uh, Jonah's will. God stepped in and changed Jonah's action. Because God put things in his pathway to still get him where he wanted him to be. God is doing the same thing with Israel here. Israel's will has not changed. Israel's will was to be rude, rebellious, wicked. That is, that is the will of mankind. Our free will leads us to choose everything that is wrong. But God will supernaturally come in, step into the equation, and change our actions. Because that's God, that's what he does. You see, God, he led his people to this land. And all because there's a little hiccup in the view of things, the people are suddenly going to Moses saying, All right, Moses, don't play games. Where's the water at? Let me tell you something. If you have a situation that looks dire, there is no man going to be able to change that situation in himself. So, well, I had doctors change my situation, and God was in the mix. If you need a blessing, no man is going to be able to provide that for you, because the Bible says all good things come from above. And it's funny, because the first thing people do when something bad happens, or when, something, when someone wants to see revival come, or when someone wants to see people saved, they go to a man who really can't do anything at all to help you. But there is a person who can, and that's God. If a person is supernaturally healed, God is going to be the one to do it. If a person is going to be saved, God is going to be the one to do it. If revival is ever to come to a church, to a community, God is going to be the one to provide it. Man cannot bring it can't be done. If a spiritual body has issues, a man can't fix it. But God can. God is the great provider of all things. Let's read on. Verse 3 says, And the people thirsted there for water. The people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord and said, What shall I do unto these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So you have the people now who are doing the same thing again. We would think they learned their lesson with the manna, but they've not. They're literally doing the very same thing. They are going to Moses and they are grumbling, saying, Moses, you've led us here to die when we could have stayed back in bondage and had all the water we wanted. They didn't have all the water they wanted. They had water. They didn't have all the water they wanted. They were slaves. But again, we remember things the way we choose to remember them. But also remember what we said last week. By murmuring against Moses, who is following God, they're not murmuring against Moses, actually. They're murmuring against God himself. And that's a dangerous place to find yourself. Because God is holy and righteous, and these people don't even deserve the breath that they breathe. The moment they sinned against God the first time, God would have been very just 
and snuffing them off the face of the earth and wiping them out. But because he is a God of grace and mercy, and because he is patient and long-suffering, he continues to bless them in spite of their faults. And he does the same thing for us. We often grumble against God. We say, Lord, why don't you give me a bigger house? Lord, why don't you give me a better job? Lord, why don't you give me better food to eat? Lord, why don't you give me more money in my checking account? We grumble and we grumble and we grumble and we grumble. But yet, God doesn't owe us anything. When we look at God and who God is, we are enemies of God. We rebel against God. But God gives us salvation. God adopts us into his family so we may have a relationship with him. Jesus went away to, provide a, to prepare a place for us where he is, we may be also. God gives us the breath that we breathe, the roof over our head. God is the one who gives us all the things that we have. And yet we are so ungrateful as a people because we grumble and we grumble and we grumble. And we are living in a day and time when, when there is a lot of grumbling going on. And, and, and if you look at the situation in the flesh, we can understand it. But we don't see the blessings along the way. We don't see God's hand of provision, even in a dire as a world in which we live. We need to start looking for the blessings of it. Mr. Rogers, the uh, children's um, say advocate, I guess the word we'll use, he had the TV show back in the day, and his company still puts on a TV show for kids. Um, but he used to tell kids that when things are bad, look for the helpers. Because when things get bad, there are always helpers. And those are the people that are out there doing everything they can to make the best of a bad situation for people. And it's really what we're saying is when things are bad, look for the blessings. Look for God's hand of provision when things are dire. We too often want to focus on the negative. We allow things to become very toxic very quick, and there's nothing beneficial about that. But if we can look for the blessings in a bad situation, it's amazing how much of a positive impact not only will have on you and your life, but the people around you and your relationship with God. But Moses here is also having us all he can stand. You know, sometimes it's tough being a leader. Moses has tried to help his people. He's tried to lead his people, and all he's getting is complaints. And Moses could have walked off and left the situation if he chose to, though. Where did Moses turn to for provision? He turns to God. He tells God, these people may kill me if, we, if you don't do something. So he does not doubt the power of God. He does not doubt the ability of God. And he realizes the source of his help. You know, there's nothing wrong in itself with questioning God. You've heard people say a long time, well, you shouldn't question God. Well, Jesus questioned God. On the cross, he cried out, why hast thou forsaken me? So it is nothing wrong in itself with questioning God. It's part of our human nature. 
But the important thing at the end of the day is to realize where the source of our help is. It is not going to be in a spiritual leader. It is not going to be from the government. It's not going to be from any sort of organization. It is going to be from God. And only the God of the Bible. The only God there is. Verse 5 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee, there upon the rock in horror. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now again, we are seeing a situation where the people are in outright sin. They're sinned against God himself by grumbling and complaining about the situation in which he has put them. And they have not trusted in him because they're automatically saying, well, he's going to leave us here to die. Why has God been so mean to us? You hear people that have the same attitude. But God has a plan in all this. And realize, even in your dire situation, God has got a plan. God has got a plan for your life. It may not be the plan you like. I'm sure these people want to show up and have a big waterfall with like water on it and have all this food laid out. That's what they wanted. But God is trying to teach them something here. Not only should we look for the blessings in, the, in our problems, we should look for the lessons in our problems. Because a lot of times God can use a trial or a tribulation to try to teach us something. And that lesson may not jump out at you in the beginning, but I guarantee if you pray and seek God, He will show you the lesson. You see, we need to find we need to find our lesson that God has for us. And notice he has Moses take the staff. Now, if I was an elder of Israel and I see Moses in the staff, this would be a reminder of what God has already done for them. You see, they forgot all that. And we do the same thing. You know, God will save us. We'll have a good relationship with him. We'll be on fire for God. And also the devil comes in and he just starts picking on us. And the first thing we do is forget who God is. We forget everything God's already done for us. We start saying, man, my life's horrible. We start grumbling, just like the Israelites. But we need to take a step back sometimes and say, you know what? God has been so good to me. I am not going to grumble and complain. I'm going to praise Him anyways. Because there is power in praise. What did you see the, the disciples do oftentimes when they're arrested? They pray and they sung. They pray and they sung. Songs of praise. But instead, too often we have ourselves a little pity party. I said we because I do it as well, but we shouldn't be doing that. We should be praising God. See, Moses did this publicly because God wanted Israel to see his glory. God wanted Israel to see his greatness. God wanted Israel to realize that he is their provider. He uses Moses and he uses a staff. But who provides the water? It's God. God may bring someone your way to provide a help, 
But who brings them? It's God. Who enables them to help you? It's God. Who gives the doctors their knowledge? God. Who, you know, this this year we, we put in a seed in the ground and we had a great, great harvest, and people might have said, Well, that's because you worked hard. Well, I worked hard in the whole garden, but it didn't all come back good. I mean, I worked hard from the time we put the first seed in the ground all the way up till we finished. But yeah, you know, we, we didn't have, get any carrots out of the ground. They didn't grow. We didn't get any onions much. They didn't grow. We had some beans that didn't produce very much. So while some of it done really good, some of it didn't do anything at all. And I've done the same work in all of it. So who provided the harvest? It was God. God is the great provider. He is the one who gives us the provision that we stand in need of to live our daily lives. He provides you with a spouse or a helpmate. He provides you uh, with family. He provides you with health. He provides you with a home, with a job. He is always providing. And instead of looking at life and seeing us in a situation where we are doing without, we need to look at life and realize all the things that we have that God has given us. Instead of grumbling like these Israelites. First the question Israelites has, is the Lord among us or not? Suddenly life is not the way they want it, and they question the very existence of God. That's dangerous, dangerous grounds of backsliding. As we see Israel do time and time and time again. They're a very backsliding nation. But I guarantee you yourself may do this. You may know Christians even that do this. As soon as their life takes a bad turn, they say, where is God? Well, God has not moved. God is sitting at the throne. And his son, Jesus Christ, is sitting at his right hand. And Jesus is making intercession for us on a daily basis to have a relationship with him. Because we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, God, at one point in time, looked down upon mankind and he saw a need in that we as a people could not put ourselves in a right standing with God. Because of the fall of Adam and us inheriting Adam's sin nature, it was by our very nature to be enmity with God. Now because of that, we see, and remember, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And we all have a sin problem. We all have sin that we need to have forgiven. And I think it's almost irony that where the Israelites were leaving was a place spelled S-I-N. Now that is today the Sinai Peninsula. What does S-I-N also spell? Sin. They left sin, got to a place God wanted them to be, and then instead of praising God, they start grumbling and complaining. How many of us Repent, leave sin, 
Call upon God for salvation. Get where God wants us to be and say, I don't like this. And if you say, not me, I would bet at some point in your life you're lying. Because God saves you. He puts you where He wants you to be. And instead of praising Him and trusting Him, you say, well, I just don't like this at all. This isn't very comfortable. Let's look at the story of Paul for just a moment. Paul was originally Saul of Tarsus. Now, he was very well up in the Pharisees. He um, persecuted the church. He, he kept the Pharisees happy. Then Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. He repents, places his faith in Christ, and he's saved. He begins traveling and preaching. And what does he face? No one wants anything to do with him because of the years he spent persecuting the church. Uh, people speak against him. He's arrested. He's shipwrecked. His life is not that desirable from the outside looking in. Now, I don't think any of you want to be arrested and shipwrecked or hated by the very people you're trying to preach to. And I can say this for pastors even. We're just like anyone else. We want to be loved, but God didn't call us to be loved. God called us to preach his word. So even when your life is not very appealing, and remember, looking at the disciples, a lot of them were killed. They were martyred for preaching the gospel. John is the only one who really lived to an old age, and he was on the Isle of Patmos for quite a while, which was this horrible island they sent prisoners to, full of scorpions, snakes, and everything else, where he wrote the book of Revelation. So being a Christian does not guarantee you a cushy life. But it does not mean we should grumble. Again, we quote it often. The Bible says, If our hope is in this world, we'll be of men most miserable. My hope is not to have a swell, little, peaceful, perfect existence here. My hope rests in eternity where there is a mansion waiting for me that Jesus has prepared. Folks, we need to realize that if your hope, the only hope you have is that you're going to have it all made here on earth, you're going to find yourself very, very, very disappointed. You see, God needed, sorry, man needed God to provide a way back to him. That's really what we stood in need of. Because of our sin and the breaking of God's law, which the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all felt short of the glory of God. So if you believe the Bible is true, you have sinned, you have broken God's law. So have I. The Bible says that. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe that. So because of that, we have been broken off or cut off from God because of our sin. But yet, there is a way back to God through the shedding of blood. But there's a problem. If we look at the Old Testament, the sacrifice was always called for an unblemished sacrifice. Well, the problem is every human is blemished. We're born into iniquity. We, we are in sin. But yet, God had a plan to provide a way for man to get back to God. This goes back to God's provision. So what did he do? 
He conceived a baby through the, through the Immaculate Conception, through the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, who was not born in iniquity, because he was virgin born. He did not have a father to inherit that sin burden from. You see, Jesus came, was born perfect, lived perfect, and died perfect. That way he could take our place and take our sin upon him because he knew no sin of his own. And when he did that and he died on the cross of Calvary, he died so you and I may live. Because by placing our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God gives us eternal life in Him and forgives us of all sin, adopts us into His family, and we become children of God. That our eternal home may be in heaven someday because of the sacrifice Jesus made when He died for you and I. God provided all that. He provided the way. He provided the sacrifice. He provided the forgiveness. We are saved by God's grace through our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. John 1.29 says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should that may manifest in Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. John pronounced it before he even ever went to the cross that Jesus was the Lamb of God whose sole purpose, primary purpose, was to take away the sin of mankind. If you're listening this morning and you've never been saved, you have a sin debt right now upon you that you cannot pay. And if you were to die at this moment wherever Jesus was to return, that sin debt would stand. And when you face God in judgment, your account will be overdrawn spiritually. And you'll be cast in the lake of fire, which we call hell, to burn forever and ever and ever in torments. Physical, spiritual, emotional torments for eternity. But God does not want anyone to go to hell. I mean, it's taught in the Bible. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's man's will to reject God. But yet the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the Word, draws us to Jesus Christ. Then we must make the conscious decision to choose Jesus before it is too late. And we die and find ourselves in devil's hell. People are dying every day. The world is waxing more wicked and wicked every day. The Bible says that Jesus is returned when we were when it is as it was in the days of Moses. Well, I, I don't sorry, in the day of Noah. I don't know if you read the book of Genesis, look at the day of Noah, but we're in that day. The return of Christ is imminent. At any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to call the church out of here. And there will be no more invitations. There will be no more altar calls presented. And your time will have ran out. 
I don't know why anyone would have found themselves in that situation. When God gave you a way out and He calls you out of that, you just have to be willing to take that step and go. So as we close out an invitation this morning, as we pray our closing prayer, if you've never been born again, I want to, to encourage you and challenge you and plead with you that you take this moment very seriously. Take a good, hard, long look at yourself and ask yourself if you're ready to face God. Because unless you're born again, He's going to look at you and say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. And cast you into that lake of fire to face the penalty for every single sin you have ever committed. But it does not have to be that way. Because Romans 10, 13 says, For all those called from the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and call out to God for salvation, He is faithful and just to forgive you. You don't have to be in a church. Baptism doesn't save you. You don't have to even do it out loud. You don't even have to have a pastor with you. You can be by yourself in the silence of your room. And by bowing your head, placing your faith in Christ, and asking God to save you, we know He is faithful and sure to do just that. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't allow this moment to pass by and play Russian roulette with your salvation. You need to know, be able to shout out where you stand with God. So we pray this morning. I encourage you to pray to God. Seek Him for salvation. And make things right before it's too late. Let us pray. Most kind, gracious, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would take the preaching of your word and your Holy Spirit would use it right now to convict the souls that are listening, Lord. Those that need to be saved and born again, Lord, you place the Holy Spirit power of conviction upon them, Lord, that they may turn to you for salvation, for it is too late. Watch over us, Lord. Watch over our land and our leaders, Lord. Heal us of this horrible disease that is plaguing us, Lord. Protect us and be with us, Lord. We love you and we pray you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We thank you for tuning in this morning. Don't forget, uh, we'll be back at 7 for evening worship. We're going to start a new study this evening. And uh, don't forget the puppet show online for the kids as well. We hope this morning's message has been a blessing to you. Uh, if you have any questions or you stand in need of anything, make sure to message us or call us and reach out to us. We love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful day.